Hello. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you. Can you tell me your name, occupation, and where you live? My name is James Temple. I live in Berkeley, California, and I work for MIT Technology Review. I'm a senior editor there, and I write about climate change and clean energy. Okay. Uh, When did you first become involved in climate change reporting? Yeah, it was about 2013 when I started looking at climate change. I was at the San Francisco Chronicle at the time covering technology. So I wrote about companies like Google and Facebook and Twitter. But the drought was underway in California at that time, which climate change very likely made uh, more intense and severe. And so I started getting more and more interested in, in climate change as a problem and what kinds of solutions we had available to, to address it. So I started writing a few stories at that point, uh, looking at various technologies that could potentially, could potentially help. And then I just started writing about it more and more over the years until um, about four years ago, I got a job at MIT Technology Review where I was specifically focused on climate and clean energy. Very interesting. Thank you. Is there, a, is there a difference between global warming and climate change? So I personally use those terms pretty interchangeably. Um, glo- I mean, I think global warming was sort of the original term for it. And it just generally means what it says that, you know, the average temperature around the globe is increasing because of rising levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Climate change, I think of as being a little bit of a, of a broader term because it, it gets to the fact that it's not, that warming isn't the only consequence of that additional rise in temperatures. We also see uh, sea levels start to rise. We see uh, ice sheets. The ice start. caps melting. That's, that's, the that's, ice caps melting. That's exactly right. And, and you see droughts and you see wildfires and you, so you see all the, and you see the coral reefs die. So you, it, there are all these additional consequences. So to me, climate change is sort of a broader term that, that, uh, that conveys to people that it's not just that it, that things warm up. It's that the, the climate change, climate is broadly changing and has a bunch of ripple effects. Yes. Um, can I tell you something for a second? Please. My friend John is um it really hates climate change cuz his favorite animal is the polar bear. Sure. And because of yeah, and because of the ice caps melting, they've been losing places to live. That's so right. he gets very angry about that. Yeah, and I and I and I think he should. I mean, it, it's really a shame that that this is happening and that animals that had, you know, obviously nothing to do with the problem are, are being affected. And unfortunately, polar bears are just, you know, one of the, the leading indicators of this because they happen to live in areas where it's very cold. And so there's, they're seeing some of the, the earliest consequences of this. But lots of animals will be potentially susceptible to climate change because conditions are just going to change all over the world more rapidly than, than they can keep up in terms of, you know, shifting to different places or, or, or changing their behaviors to, to compensate. I concur. Um, be, I, I read an article 
uh, that last year about in 2016, a species of penguin actually was wiped out of existence. Is that right? I didn't. I yeah, didn't I see don't... that, but that's that makes sense. That's too bad. Yeah, I don't remember what it was called, but yeah, I remember reading it last year. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's really a shame, and you, we're also seeing a lot of changes in in marine life, and you know. Uh, fish and, and shellfish and, and various animals that live in the oceans, um, in part, not just because things are getting warmer, although they are, but also because rising CO2 levels make the oceans more acidic. And uh, that can disrupt certain marine animals' abilities to create their shells and things like that. So we're seeing all kinds of uh, ripple effects from this. Yes. Um, why is climate change important to you? Well, yeah, part of the, you know, because of some of the reasons we've just been saying, you know, I mean, I think, I think for a long time, we, climate change seemed like this distant, far away problem. But increasingly, we're seeing that it's affecting us today in in real ways. And it's going, it's causing, or making worse droughts and heat waves. And, and it's raising sea levels. And these are all things that are going to affect a, a lot of people around the world, particularly a lot of people in, in um, some of the hottest and poorest parts of, of the world throughout the, the global south. Um, and so it's just, to me, I care about it because it's going to affect a lot of human beings and it's going to affect a lot of animals and it's going to harm a lot of ecosystems like the, the coral reefs and, uh, you know, the Amazon rainforest and things like that. And I just think that, you know, to, to some degree, maybe we're, we can, you know, re- hopefully we can repair some of the damage that's done. But we certainly can't repair all of the damage that, that would be done. And so, you know, these whatever, whatever amount of uh, warming we allow to happen... Uh, is going to do a lot of damage that could take decades to centuries to to reverse. And that's just really a shame to me. And uh, so I think we need to take the problem as seriously as possible. I concur. Um, coming back to the drought topic, yeah. uh, recently here in, in Carmel, it hadn't rained for two weeks. Is that right? Is that normal? Is that un- unusual for this time of year? No, not at right. all. Okay. Not at all. Like it normally rains like maybe twice a week. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah, we had a couple. We had uh, like what was it? Four, four to six years uh, extended drought out here in California, and it's not that it didn't rain at all, but it just rained a lot, lot less than than it did in you know in usual years, and you know unfortunately that had all kinds of long lasting effects, including killing over a hundred million trees in the Sierra Nevada uh, forest. And that's in part what's driving some of the wildfires that are that are happening out here today, because it just had this massive buildup of sort of dead, dry fuel in in the forest. And so when things do catch on fire, there's just a lot more um, fuel, essentially wood that that's that's dry and and ready to burn. And so you have what would have been a sort of mild fire becomes a, a, a severe fire that gets harder and harder to put out. That's very unfortunate. It is. Fortunate. It is. You're right. How is climate change personal to you? I mean, I'll tell you, um, there's, there's been a few instances in my life where I felt like I actually was, you know, witnessing an effect of climate change. Um, 
Was it that day when the sun got blotted out from all the? <laughs> that was certainly one storm. Yeah, you know, I mean, what, the the wildfire thing is is complicated. I don't want to I don't want to oversimplify it. It's uh, climate change has definitely made the forest fires worse out here. Part of the problem is that we we've, we've also not done a good job of managing fires in the past century and and managing our forests in in ways that would prevent these kind of huge. Um, infernos from from happening so it's not so so climate change is, plays a huge role and um but 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 there are other facts so so yeah this year when the wildfires occurred and by the way they're still happening um you know it for weeks the air quality out here i mean you couldn't see this you know it was it was so overcast you it was just sort of a white out and you couldn't see the sun and you couldn't see the blue sky and you couldn't you shouldn't really go out in those conditions without like an n95 mask because it, it le- legitimately poses health risks to people and so you know for weeks i kind of just had to stay indoors for the most part and just you know go out for short walks with my dog and that was about it and, you know, that was also during a heat wave. And so it was, and so you couldn't open windows and it was, it was kind of a, it was kind of oppressive. And yeah, that that day where it just felt like the sun never rose, where it was just this sort of like orange pall over the sky for, for an entire day uh, was was really a dramatic and, and weird event. It was it was like I remember it being, I think, 11 in the in the morning and it and it was still dark out and my brain couldn't quite get you know grapple with what was going on and why i was up working when clearly it was night out yeah um next Mm -hmm. question since you were an adult during al gore's push for more awareness around global warming do you think enough has been done in the last 20 years i don't think we've even scratch the surface on what needs to be done unfortunately you know i al gore has done a great job of raising awareness of this issue with the the docu well particularly the first documentary that he did i actually think to some degree he he has sort of claimed credit for more progress than has actually taken place to be honest in his second documentary um i i I can yeah, I mean, we we truly have done, you know, obviously the the level of solar panels and wind turbines has increased, but 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 not a huge amount. And and meanwhile, we're still, you know, our, you know, electric vehicles and hybrids are still just a tiny fraction of the overall car fleet. And and, you know, factories, for the most part, continue to operate the same way that they, they always have. And so, I mean, it, the, you, all you have to do is look at what's happening with global greenhouse gas emissions. And they've continued to go up and up and up every year. They've they've started they've started to flatten out. The increase has started to flatten out. But we haven't seen a giant, uh, you know, any kind of real decline yet. And so collectively um the the world is just not doing it even close to enough to begin to address this problem and the problem is that means that we we have to do more work in a much faster time frame than than if we had been doing you know a little bit more all along and making you know even if it was gradual progress over time 
we would be in a much better position than we are now. And, and instead, it means that in you know a couple decades, a couple to three decades, we need to just fundamentally transform the entire energy system, and and agriculture and industry. And that's that's going to be a really big job. Yes. Um, how does it? Um, I mean, are you scared of being in pandemic and the wildfires <laughs> where you are in California? Um. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, I'll say it was it was what I felt like this year because the wildfires for the past couple of years have, you know, filled the skies with smoke and meant that for a couple of days or a couple of weeks of every fall, you had to wear a mask and you couldn't go out and stuff like that. But in more recent years, I well, I could still go to the gym. I could still go to a coffee shop. I could still go to work. It, you know, this year I already couldn't do all of those things because of the pandemic. And then I couldn't even leave the house. I couldn't go outdoors for a, a hike or, a, or an, you know, a really long walk with my dog or something. So it's not necessarily that I was more scared this year than I've been in the, in the past. I've been fortunate that none of the fires that have occurred have actually been particularly close to where I live here in Berkeley. Um, so I haven't felt fear in the sense of like, uh, I was in immediate danger or anything like that, but, but certainly it's, it's, you know, it's sad and, and, and it's, and it's frustrating to essentially be in the midst of kind of overlapping disasters, um, at the same time, just dealing with, with a pandemic and wildfires and at that point, a heat wave all at the same time, along with rolling blackouts, <laughs> it just, it felt like a lot. For a, a few weeks out there, for a few weeks there. Okay, um, how is the Paris Agreement different from the Kyoto Protocol? Hmm, that's a good question that I don't have a perfect answer to. The Kyoto Protocol was kind of uh, happened earlier and was before I was occurred before I was really looking closely at these issues. Um, yeah, it was technically in 2000 but when al gore proposed it for yeah. the u.s it was it, so it was an earlier international agreement to start taking these this this problem seriously the u.s didn't join um the paris agreement was um happened under obama uh, during during obama's tenure and toward toward the very end of of um his tenure and basically it was an international agreement uh, where everyone came, all, all the world, well, not, yeah, almost all the world's nations came together and, and at least they didn't all sort of set the same goal. They all set their own individual goals, but everyone agreed to start making some progress. And most of those agreements were, were backed by sort of policies within, within the nations, rules or regulations that would, would help get them toward the goals they were setting for themselves. Like Obama had the clean power plan. Um, yeah, it w yeah, it would have been very helpful to help prevent climate change. Well, not prevent, but right, help slow right. down. But then Trump came along and ruined it. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that is that's certainly the way I look at it. I mean, we to be honest, I mean, we needed it was it was like a bare minimum. Um, the, the what what the U.S. had agreed to within the Paris Agreement. First of all, it was a voluntary agreement there was no one was going to hold us to those standards or kick us out of the agreement if we if we didn't make it um and and they weren't particularly ambitious goals either so 
Um, so the, the fact that we that that the U.S. under under Trump um, withdrew from the agreement is is just a shame because it just it just sort of slowed down progress and and it sort of took away pressure from other nations to feel like they had to take their agreement seriously as well. And so um, so yeah, I don't I don't think that that was a smart decision. I was uh, a, you know a little sad that I I felt like the Paris Agreement was at least like some sort of progress uh, and inter- international agreement that this was a, a really important problem that we all had to work together on to, to make progress on together. Um, and, and so, so I'm worried, I was, I was, I was and remain worried about the, the broader effects of, of the U S um, leaving that, that agreement and, and what happens if we don't go back into it in the you know year ahead or so here. I concur. Um, uh, can, could we possibly do both the Paris Agreement and the Kyoto Protocol if we would have been able to stick to those? Um, I don't know enough about the Kyoto Protocol to answer that question with any confidence. So, sorry, I don't want to give a wrong <laughs> answer there. And so, yeah, so I don't, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I mean, in general, we, we could certainly hit um whatever goals we had set for ourselves there there's no technical challenge to dramatically reducing the amount of greenhouse gases that we're emitting so certainly whatever goals we set under both of those agreements we we are are within our capabilities yes definitely um in your opinion how do politics and climate change go together uh like not just in a not just like in a way uh, in a certain way, but yeah, it can also be in a bad way. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it, it well, unfortunately, how, how do I want to answer this? So we need po- the politics, we need the political system to solve the climate problem. It's not just a technical issue. It's not just an economic issue. Um, we 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 have most of the technology we need to solve this, um, but there are still technologies we need to develop, and and some of the technologies that exist are are more ex- more expensive or or not as not a perfect substitute for the fossil fuel systems. And so you need public policy you to move these technologies along faster than they're going to develop on their own. You need federal investment into research and development to, you know, invent the next breakthrough batteries or the next breakthrough electric vehicles or to make real improvements to, you know, solar panels or or wind. But unfortunately, the politics are politics are very divisive. And and so we are just we, we can't really get both sides to agree on the sets of changes that would need to be made and, and the amount of money that needs to go into them and, and all that. And so it's just been very controversial. So it's a problem that's very, the the science is very clear that this is a very real problem and the solution is the solution sets are, are, are pretty clear, but we just can't get the political parties to get together and come up with, uh, the, the the sorts of policies that would be implement the sets of policies that would be necessary to start accelerating these the the clean energy um, transition in in a, in the way that it needs to happen. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, 
I have a very important question okay. for you. Why do some people not believe in climate change? Hmm. That's a hard thing for me to answer uh, because it seems it's, you know, incredibly clear that it is a real problem. There's no re- there's no real Definitely. debate in the in the among scientists that it, it's a real problem and that it's happening and that it's it's causing some very troubling, da- dangerous things for us already. So um, why people don't believe it? I mean, I think, unfortunately, there the the issue has been um, the issue has been distorted from the early days because there were sort of business interests in the fossil fuel industry who saw that, you know, that that listening to the scientists on this issue and making the kind of changes that would be necessary to address the, the dangers uh, would not be good for their business. And so, um, you know, and so they've gone to great lengths to slow down progress, to uh, kind of muddle the, the, the public debate on these issues, um, to spread some misinformation. And, and unfortunately, those things, those efforts have been successful. Uh, there's, you know, still, a, a, you know, a sizable part of the, the U.S. population that uh, does not believe that climate change is a real problem uh, or doesn't believe that we can that it's a, a problem we can solve. And so we just have to live with it or that um, we could solve it, but it's too expensive and too disruptive. And so we just have to deal with it. Um, I that's just clearly wrong as far as I'm concerned. You know, if you just look at the, the, the cost of addressing the problem in terms of transitioning the energy system versus the cost that it's going to take to adapt to the problems it causes and and pay for all the you know infrastructure development and the seawalls and um the improved emergency response systems and the wildfire damages it's it's clear it will would have cost less to just fix the problem than we're going to have to pay um to to solve the solve the the um emergencies that result from it to to address the extreme weather and the wildfires and the sea level rise and everything else. Yes. Um, what can I do as a nine-year-old in Indiana to help prevent climate change? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I'm glad you asked it. I mean, there's there there's sort of a combination um, of things that people can do as individuals, and and well. I, I'll say that there's a lot of things you can do as an individual to at least shrink your own uh, climate footprint or carbon footprint. You can eat less meat. You can remember to turn your lights off. You can um, not not travel as much in cars or planes and things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me, I just burped. Um, <laughs> uh, let me re-say that. <laughs> That's... Yeah, that's if probably the best that out, that would be good. choice right so, now. Um, so, so what yeah, I can think a I nine-year-old in Indiana do? I mean, there's a lot of things that individuals can do to at least shrink their own climate footprint. And that can include things like eating less meat, uh, driving around less, traveling less in, in cars and planes, um, 
turning off your lights more often, uh, maybe not watching uh, TV and, and things like that. But but the thing is that, you know, there are billions and billions of people in the world and asking, you know, solving the problem by asking each individual to, you know, behave in a, in a, in a slightly different way or, or dramatically different way. It's just a really challenging way of going about that problem. You know, for, for every, you know, kid in Indiana like you who really cares about this problem, there are lots and lots of others who don't believe it's a problem or don't know it's a problem or uh, don't don't really have the same uh, choices over over their own, you know, their own carbon footprints, etc. And so really, I think to, to affect this at the scale that's necessary we need to um, we need to change the laws and the rules, and uh, we need to sort of support politicians who are calling for broader changes um, and, and aggressive changes to to our systems to get these problems change, um, addressed on the on the level and scale necessary. So, so what I tend to tell people is that you can you can certainly change your lifestyle in ways that will affect your your personal carbon footprint, but if you want to affect greater change. That you, you know, for better or worse, that that happens through the political system. And so you can either, you know, uh, do, you know, help from help convince your friends and family to to vote for the right people. You can try to support particular candidates or you can push candidates uh, who don't believe in these things to take take these problems more seriously by writing letters or calling their offices and and things along those lines. Um, But yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Like this like this is my opinion that I think I personally think that Joe Biden should should become president uh just because of all that Trump's done to help speed up climate change. Yeah, I don't I don't want to get too political, but but I I tend to agree that if if all we're talking about is the the climate policies of of the two candidates um the two you know, primary candidates for, for, for president, um, Joe Biden has a lot of things in his platform that he wants to do to, to help address uh, climate change. And President Trump, on the other hand, unfortunately, has he spent m- much of his presidency uh, rolling back uh, the few climate policies that, that we had in place. Um, and making it really harder uh, to make to make the sort of progress that we need to make on climate change. I concur. Okay, um, everybody on my podcast gets a neon sign. What would your What would you like? Yours uh, I would to like say? my neon sign to say "Science, it just works." That is a very <laughs> Thank good. Thank you. I appreciate option. it. That's everything? Great. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm glad that I was able to All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. Goodbye. Goodbye.